Welcome to How to Save the World with me, Tim Batt. And me, Waveney Worth. And today we're joined by a special guest, Auckland City Councillor. Hang on, Auckland Council, it's not Auckland City. Oh. It's much bigger than a city, Tim. Oh my God. Auckland City Council (laughs) is the old one that merged with the six others. So this is Auckland Council. Auckland Council. We're joined by Auckland Councillor Richard Hills. Kia ora. Thanks for having me. Kia ora, Richard. Thank you so much for coming. And city council is sometimes easier for people to understand because then they think I'm the councillor of Auckland people. That's cool. That you're there to kind of mediate yeah. and make sure that people are feeling okay. and Which sometimes is the job anyway. <laughs> <laughs> now, Richard, you are a very um, visible councillor. Maybe it's just in my little Twitter bubble that I experience you a lot, <laughs> but I see you a lot online. You interface a lot with, um, with the people of Auckland. You're at all these different events. And um, you've got a couple cool feathers in your hat. You, this is your second term, right? Yeah, second term on the Auckland Council. Am I right in saying you're the first ever openly gay elected councillor in Auckland? Uh, I'm the first on the Auckland Council, but there was um, there has been two others, on one on Waitakere um, and what, Denise Yates and one at Auckland City Council. Top three, baby. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Top three. Yeah. yeah, Auckland Council's only been around for, a, well, a decade. Now. Yeah. 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 Feels like not long ago, but it's ages. And you are also the chair of the newly formed Environment and Climate Change Committee inside of council. Yes, which is exciting. Yeah. Um, we want to hear all about that. Maybe we'll drill into that in more detail in just a mo. Um, but first, I would love to just get some general insights about what is it like Working inside of council. Inside the beast. Inside the belly of the beast. Especially in the big super city in Auckland. Yeah. I mean, I love it as a, I wasn't a local board before I became a councillor. And I, yeah, I love it. It's big and it's sometimes frustrating. And, but once you know the staff and know what you're doing and kind of respect other people and work with others, crazy ideas like that. um, It's actually pretty easy to get stuff done um, for the community and for, you know, getting things over the line but I mean the the staff and the people who you know work there and do the work and the contractors and the volunteers like there's just so many amazing people doing amazing things across the city which is why I'm often quite sad about like people hate the council when there's actually so much good happening and so many smart people that just want to do good things for the city so yeah it's kind of my day-to-day we have committees last term I was on nine or ten committees so it's pretty full-on kind of every day sitting around a table this time thankfully I'm on a, a few uh, I'm on fewer committees but I've got bigger responsibilities so I can actually focus more um, with this new chair role of this new committee which is awesome um, but yeah so day-to-day it's in the council Albert Street or in the town hall and then I try and have Fridays night times weekends for community um, stuff so that's when I try and get out and do all those Events when and, I see yeah. you out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's more like, I obviously I enjoy that. That's um, stuff I do by choice. But it's also about engaging, understanding what people want. And generally people are nicer to your face as well. So if you just keep, <laughs> so it, on, if you just keep it online, then you, uh, you get a kind of warped uh, view so the of the world. profile people that you got to watch out for. Yeah, definitely. A photo. Um, well, that's really good to hear that you value the people that you work with and say that they're really great. Because there is this thing about local government that... I don't know, I've got a very coloured picture in my head that it sort of attracts like lunatics, but I think that's because Ooh. of the people who kind of lobby local government. Like yeah. I, in my head when I think local councils and stuff, I think of all these crazy people with signs and 
big protests and people getting really worked up about really tiny issues and dedicating like half their life to making sure that a bus lane <laughs> doesn't get installed on the Greyland shops. Yeah. I mean, that, that I won't... Speaking from... <laughs> the amount Local. of billboards I saw for that, I was just like, this cannot possibly be the most important thing going on in your life. It's interesting because you're coming from the elected side and I spent seven years working oh, yeah. a, as a council officer at Auckland Council, which is how I remembered the, <laughs> the name of it. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it is interesting, I think, in terms of the type of people that engage or want to engage with council because there's so many disengaged people out there and yeah. then there's the ones that are uber-engaged. and Too engaged, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, for, I, one of the things that I personally was surprised by not sort of having engaged with council much myself prior to working there was how genuinely keen that that council mechanism is the entire beast <laughs> is to engage yeah. and and get feedback it's like they're desperate for it and yeah, it was please. always this sort of like um achievement of like oh we got a hundred people and then oh now we're up to 200 and now yeah. there's a thousand people that have submitted and like the more it was kind of like a competition to see if you could get more than the other department and everyone's just so genuinely keen on feedback and then seeing and you're still quite skeptical going oh yeah so what people have fed back but then seeing that they do then feed that into the plans and just how important it is if they they might want to do a particular thing like put a bike lane in but if all the feedback says no they don't want it they don't. They do don't. And, yeah. and so, yeah, it's it's interesting. And that's the hard thing. Like oh, the twofold things you guys have brought up around the the lunatic stuff. I won't say anyone's <laughs> lunatic, but but it does. Um, my words, it, not Richard's. <laughs> it is important to, and I try and tell my colleagues, as in the colleagues around the table. Sometimes you've got to listen to those people, but also think more. Um, broader like sometimes I get a completely different view than some of my colleagues because they are being shouted at yelled at public meetings by a minority of people it's important to listen to those people but mm. actually the people who are busy they may have kids or they're just working hard they're or they're younger or they fit into a demographic that isn't someone that comes to the town hall to mm. talk to us or come to a public meeting at you know 7 p.m mm. on a Tuesday night um, that those people also care about stuff they just don't have you know, they might have time to submit. And around submitting, it is important that, you know, we do thousands of consultations every year across the organization. And it is about getting people's views. And it's mostly about, and, and it is that whole frustration from my perspective when people say, oh, council doesn't listen. Council doesn't want to hear from us. I'm like, that's literally all we do. But I guess, <laughs> um, I guess the difference is, and some uh, politicians need to understand that too, it's the... We're wanting feedback. It doesn't mean we're not going to do the project. A lot of yeah. the time it's like safety or we have to we have to replace the favorite playground because it's falling apart or we have to do whatever it is. But it's about getting feedback to, you know, stage it or make it better mm. or take out something we haven't thought of or protect that special chair that used to have a plaque on it for someone's um, dead relative or, what, you know, all those things add into it. But I think what people get confused about is their one piece of feedback might have been in the minority or it might have been, you know, saying, stop it. And then everyone thinks, oh, well, Auckland Council doesn't listen. But you have so many views across yeah. the city yeah, on every issue. Yeah, to be knitted together. Yeah. Well, this is all kind of circling around a question that Waveney and, and I both wanted to ask, which is, so particularly because we're looking at things in the environmental and sustainability space, what is the best way to try and affect some change through local government? Like, how do you lo lobby your local council? Yeah, I mean, I guess my journey I've seen 
the better ways on, on groups like uh, Generation Zero during the unitary plan, it felt like I was one of the only voices saying, we do need density and, and it's really good if we don't sprawl anymore. And, you know, we were just having a large... Um, so the unitary plan for people uh, listening who don't know was when we had to amalgamate all the plans from all the old councils, but it also meant that we had to plan for the future. So it was about amalgamating into one plan because there were so many different, it was like, you know, thousands of document, you know, um, pages of documents that kind of all contradicted each other and you could be building or doing something in one part of the city with completely different rules. So it was important that we amalgamated that. But also why we did that, we also had to make room for a million or so people in the next 30 years that will be moving to Auckland, being born in Auckland, coming from um, overseas. A million. Yeah. Good grief. Yeah. It'll probably be more than that, but the way we're tracking. But so we had to plan, but the whole plan with the unitary plan, it was the the policy direction was that we want to have as many people living within the current urban boundaries and not spreading out Auckland, although we still are spreading way too much in my opinion, but um, which means that rapid change will come and you could probably see it around the place. You're seeing more terraced housing, more apartments, more people maybe demolishing one house and building three smaller houses, but that is the only way we get better investment in public transport. It's the only way we get, um, you know, more people living closer together. Uh, communities are built like overseas. You know, these people complaining yeah. often go to Paris and London and all these different um, cities, Melbourne, Sydney, yeah. yeah, Melbourne and Sydney where they love the public transport. They love the cafes downstairs mm, from their apartments. That's right. But, yeah. But love it's just, the feel of the, yeah. the, the, the pulse of a city which we miss a lot when we've all got this big backyard and we're all separated by big fences and, yeah, yeah exactly so i guess for me seeing suddenly generation zero arrived at that time because we we're only hearing negative voices mostly older and from a, one, a certain demographic and that's fine but because you're only hearing that one voice who rightly or wrongly were afraid of change or didn't want change or were worried about you know their retirement mm. savings or thought that maybe it would reduce their house prices and things, which whether you agree or not, that's valid for a lot of people um, to focus on them, that issue. Um, but Generation Zero came out and said, hey, what about us? What about the future? What about young people? And suddenly you just had this sudden diverse voice coming forward, being loud, um, speaking up, getting booed by some older people. Mm. I, me- I remember I being... I remember that too. Yeah, it yeah. was horrible. Just so... Everyone was being respectful in this meeting, presenting, presenting. Then this young people, some from Generation Zero, some from the Youth Advisory Panel, saying that we support the plan, we want it to be stronger, we want more density, public transport, and just being booed by probably people who see themselves as quite respectable people in the community. Mm, But, you know, mm. and it took the chair of that meeting, I think it was Penny Hulse, to like really come. And Len Brown at the time was like, hey, this is not okay. But actually, what that spurred was a new look at you know, getting people involved, um, you know, a little time later, Generation Zero also did a submission form on the sky path that was in my community where we were getting the loudest angst about it in Northcote Point. It's going to be terrible, bring, bring criminals from the city to steal my TV and ride their bike back over the bridge and oh, okay. I was going to get sued for if their house prices went down and all this kind of thing. But You then, were personally going to get sued yeah, if their yeah. property prices went down, okay. Which I was like, well, if you're... Prices go up. Can I take the Because <laughs> I'll bank on that. Door swings both ways. Yeah. But they got like 11,000 submissions. And it showed, even in Northcote Point and Northcote, it was overwhelmingly in favor. Um, so it just showed, yes, there was angst, but it was a minority of voices. We have to listen to them and try and mitigate their the things they want. But it was actually getting a group of people involved in a different way. So they weren't going to turn up, well, not many of them were going to turn up to meetings, 
but they were happy to sign a form mm. if it was easy to fill out. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot happening online, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. To, to your question him around how can people participate, yeah. Generation Zero is a one. You don't have to be in that generation either. Like I've. No, no, no. I've thrown in. I've just. Those forms they have are so wonderfully easy. And for people who are listening outside of this Auckland area, obviously it's a bit of a feature today, but um, there's probably equivalent groups doing equivalent things um, yeah, in different parts of the yeah. world. Yeah. Um, and on the, the homepage of Auckland Council's website, I just checked it out uh, this morning, just having a quick wee look. And they're, they're right there, is you can see that you can click on something, I can't remember what it's like, something like participation Have or your something. Say. Have your say. Thank yeah. you, Richard. And it's um, right there. You can see what's open. And it's got lists of yes. all the currently yeah, open Yeah, of the currently and the things that are about to open. And they have um, got much better, council has got much better at um, not having to fill out laborious kind of forms that can do online. You can just click yes. You don't have to fill in. Like a lot of people, it's like the census and even like voting in local government. People think it's sort of like an exam where you're going to get yeah. tested on what bits you filled in. Like you can just go yes and send or you can just go love it, send. Or mm. I encourage people to actually submit on things they do like. Does that count in terms of council receiving stuff if there's a submission and someone says love it like does yeah. that have any weight yeah definitely it's it's got weight because we get a lot of you know piss off this is shit so so it's, it's good to have a balance opposite weighting with that. <laughs> yeah i mean every bit of feedback counts obviously it's great to have if people can spend a bit more time and say i love this because or yay finally or this will mean my kids can ride to school now or whatever that adds a lot of weight and that kind of mm. Um, real personal story can actually affect councillors and other people mm. reading I've, it. I've seen the other side of that where yeah. a colleague just sat for oh, good <laughs> six weeks crunching it. Yeah. Just massive spreadsheet, hundreds and hundreds of submissions. Some of it was the quantifiable, yes, no, easy to do stuff. And that most of it was qualitative. And yeah. they're just sitting there picking out themes, finding it's incredible, and yeah. it just the extent to which, like, it's real. That was the thing that the really, that really care. surprised me. It's yeah. really real. That cynicism that, well, I guess, particularly my generation has around these processes, just isn't founded. Yeah. Um, Maybe it, it used to be though. <clears throat> it seems like it's even well, as you said, Richard, it's moving away from that bureaucratic, fulfilling yeah. version to like you know plain English and easy to read and easy, more accessible for people to have their say. Yeah, and yeah. also it's very place. It's place and time specific, isn't it? We're talking about a particular council. Mm. Um, yeah. Not to say that they're all. Actually, that was something I wanted to ask too. Is like uh, whether it was a choice that uh, to get into local rather than central politics. So, and then. This is going to be a double bang question. Um, <laughs> with that, what the main differences are? Like, why? What's what is it about local government that's unique, particularly in the environmental space? Yeah, I. To be honest, I get asked this question all the time. I don't really know how I ended up here, really. And um, I guess going way, way back, I think when I was sort of fifteen, had an awesome sociology teacher who was all about. It was at the time when there was a lot of bills going through that were pretty divisive but awesome like civil unions um pay parental leave you had um the prostitution law reform smoking in bars like a whole lot of quite um i agree or disagree the kind mm. of uh talk back and weekend around the water cooler chat kind yeah. of but it was very much labor versus national or left versus right back mm. then Auntie it's Helen. great it's great to see now like with marriage equality and things that uh they're a bit more cross-party you know on these big issues 
Um, and hopefully with the abortion law reform and things like that, that'll yeah. be the same this time. But Even with zero carbon bill. Yeah, exactly. That was awesome. But the, back then it was very divisive. So I was kind of like, oh, these, you know, these lefties, these Labour people kind of are saying the really obvious stuff. Like that seems to be the way to go. And those angry guys <laughs> over there, mostly guys, um, were, uh, were national. So to me, that's where it came from. And then I got interested in politics. I didn't even know you could join a party. I just joined my local, not, not for years later, I thought you kind of had to be like, it was a secret society that you just were able to join a party or be involved. And then it was actually Anne Hartley who said to me, who was who used to be a Labour MP from Northcote, uh, the mayor of, first mayor of North Shore. She's been quite involved with local government on the shore forever. She was like, why don't you run for the local board? This is, you know, 2010, it's going to be the new super city. I'm like, I don't know what that is, but sure. <laughs> and she was a bit like, you know, I'll help fund. How old were you then? 23. Well, and she was like, I'll help fund your campaign. And if you win, just pay me back. And I'm like, sweet. This seems pretty, this would be a good no experience. Risk. And then the first time I saw it, I got elected. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so now, I mean, I'd always been interested in local uh, things, you know, whether it was, why don't we have bus stops in this area? And, um, you know, when I was at school, we petitioned the the um, local community board about a skate park in uh, Marlborough Park. Um, and we got blasted by the all over 60s kind of um, people on the Glenfield community board who were like, how dare you talk about this um, thing, you bad young people. Um, so it was quite always an interest in me, like why was there no, nothing good happening and who were the voices? So I guess it kind of was the right fit. And then just, I had stood for, I stood for Labour uh, in Northcote in 2014, 2011. Um, didn't, was not successful. Um, there. But I think the local, and people still ask me, and it's really hard, like I'll never say never, but I do like the local um, flavor, especially in this role, and especially now I have a chair role this term, like the amount of change you can have just as one person and can get stuff done. You're not in a party machine. I'm not told what to do by anyone. Um, I can respond to my own community based on what they want, but also based on Auckland but also I can see change happen so fast. I imagine in government, it's just so frustrating, yeah. so big. Mm-hmm. And you kind of hear ministry, here's a billion dollars. And then it's like, what, what does that look like? I imagine, you know, on things like I'm really passionate about mental health and sexual health and things like education, there are that bigger, meatier kind of long lasting um, stuff. But I guess you can still do that in council. Now we're kind of the size we are. Um, so that kind of gets to the heart of the difference between probably central government and local government and that you can actually get stuff done relatively quickly and easily. Yeah. If you've like got a good like, idea yeah, that, that's a, popular, a you can get it done. Satisfying place to be. And is what what could you sum up for us kind of the mandate of council? Like what is it that you know, why doesn't just the central government do everything? Yeah, I think and I think that has been some people's perception or frustration of the super city. Is the local government's really about that face to face closeness understanding your local community you know government is kind of in wellington doing you know doing stuff at you a bit yeah they don't even have to consult like we have when we do a budget it takes us six months we have to consult which is great and um you know there's processes and drafts and goes on and on government can put out their budget and pass it the next day and not even you know they only consult at the election whether they get in or not so there is frustration for slowness sometimes in council but generally it's ironic isn't it yeah you are (laughs) you are close to the community it's easier to respond it's kind of that devolution of power that if you just had everything being done at central government 
you know, sometimes it's councils. If we get all 21 local board and the council say we're past the climate emergency unanimously, yeah. those kind of things can really push the government. Um, you know, there's a lot of other things like the under the last government when uh, Phil Goff first got elected, we opposed deep sea oil drilling, things like that. Obviously, that didn't, we didn't, we couldn't change that yeah. ourselves. But having that pressure from a big player like Auckland. Mm. Um, meant that the government had to change things. I think we've pushed really hard for public transport um, investment and things like that. Things like the city rail link got the, all the parties basically eventually to agree on that. And that was Len Brown and the um, council pushing for that. So I think if you're just working as a government everywhere, it's, doesn't have that same check and balances. Can we drill into the climate emergency yeah. um, declaration that you mentioned? Because I think it's up to 13 now. It's like all of the big councils around New Zealand have all mm. declared a climate emergency now, like right from top to bottom, but the national government hasn't, like the central government hasn't. Yeah. Um, what does it actually mean for council to declare a climate emergency? Does it allow them to do anything differently that they couldn't do before? I think, first of all, obviously, largely it is looking like we care, first of all. Like, you know, won't say a climate emergency, people say, oh, it's all about, you know, I don't know, window dressing or whatever, but in some ways it is. It's like, well, what do we stand for? What is this? It's like a values yeah. statement. So first of all, it's a value statement. Second of all, that instantly meant that we put up a few resolutions in that moment that every report coming to um, councillors and local boards had to have a climate impact statement. That's oh, pretty concrete. Yeah. So straight away that happened. We're only just now kind of getting all the departments, you know, it took a while to get them like, okay, what does that actually mean? How mm. do we, how do we, value that um so sometimes some of the statements might be a bit weaker at the beginning like this may or may not have an effect on carbon emissions but now it's quite getting quite clear and in this budget coming up we're going to be funding some more work around a more tool-based kind of so sort of measurable yeah measurable so at the moment it's kind of like acknowledging and it means that councils can ignore or not but i guess every time and I will be a little probably annoy my colleagues a bit like, hey guys, remember this does say that it's going to significantly increase emissions by this decision we're about oh, to make. Oh, that's interesting. So yeah. the the compulsion is for all of the projects to have a statement about it, but not necessarily for them to address it, but they have to announce yeah. if it's positive or negative. Yeah. So it's sort yes, of... it's a starting point. Yeah. 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 And, and there will be things I imagine that I support that are, you know, like there will be roads that we probably have to build, you know, we've got things in the unitary plan that or developments that have started or you know some some developments are been sitting on the books for like 20 years and to then take it away they would probably get sued like there, there are mm. things that mm. will say putting this way out here in this future urban development whether i agree or not it's like yes we're building that road yes it's going to increase carbon emissions but on the other side it's like please government can we also have light rail to there one day soon as well, or whatever. So there will be some times where uh, I think uh, sort of Todd Nile actually asked me the other day about supercars. You know, why are we funding supercars during a climate su emergency? Supercars. Uh, it's like uh, down in what's going to be Hampton Downs. Oh, the store. races, right? Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. So like the motorsport. Motorsport. Oh, and, I thought um, you were meaning like some sort of driverless new <laughs> Same. Super yeah. In my head, there was like a, a minivan created by Tesla. It's like a people mover. Like way too creative. <laughs> I do too. love your lens that you're just automatically, it must be like a cool climate. No, 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 it's just cars. Because it's around. super and yeah. it's a car. But, but I said my thing 
I could have gone, yes, it's terrible and vote again. But at the moment, it's under contract for however many years. I think they've got one year left. And I've already talked to AT that they climate will be part of the next mm. contract with them. But what I said to Todd was, I'm not, I don't want to waste time on something that's not going to move the dial much. It's probably actually worse all the people driving to that totally. event. Totally. So yeah. if we got like, say, buses going to that event... That was that's probably the climate impact more than the cars going around. But we could waste a lot of time. Yeah, so many other things that could be done that won't issues. annoy people so yeah. much. Choose your battles yeah. a bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and for you, is it more the kind of or the opponents of it? Is it the look of having supercars racing around chugging through petrol rather than the actual impact of yeah. those emissions? So it's like it's easy to pick up and go blah, but actually it's like, no, we have to structurally change everything we're yeah. doing. <laughs> Not that that is an event over there that's gonna upset people and we could spend three weeks debating it but not actually mm, change i like it it's a nice way of thinking about it but and these, it's yeah. really congenial as well yeah it's like because you're in a space where you have to talk to your fellow councillors and get stuff done and make agreements yeah. and it's like it's not divisive that yeah. attitude it's great but the the other side of the climate emergency so that was the straight away but now it's slowly like this budget uh it's a one-year budget so it's this is the hard thing with council, that it is long. And if we are talking budgets, the real time is next year, which is our 10-year budget, where we can get significant change. Uh, we've got a climate action plan, which was already happening before we did the climate emergency. That'll come out in March and May. Um, but since the climate emergency, we've everyone's been looking at ways to fund new stuff within house. So it's kind of getting our own house in order. So we're putting about $19 million into projects that will affect council's emissions this budget as an operator and employer yeah. and that sort of thing does okay. that touch on because one of the other things i wanted to talk about was the social procurement that's yes. come through because that's huge and a lot of people wouldn't know about that i think we've been mentioning the super city but we haven't explained it yet have we for people who don't know it's just it's just basically what have we got about 80 councils in new zealand roughly and auckland council is the super one yeah. because it accounts for about a third of all of the population yeah. here, and the other seventy-eight or whatever it is get it the other be, two thirds. Is it's, it nine individual ones that eight, all coalesced yeah, into one? Nine, eight, something like something that. Like yeah, because yeah. if you, yeah. Anyway, that's right. They're all merged, and so it is this massive big super city now. Um, so what's the and social so, procurement yeah, thing so, about? So that that super city, Auckland Council. Uh, my understanding is that there's the, it's about a billion worth of spend, one of the biggest procurements, procurers there are yeah. in the country. And so huge power to look at um, where they can be, not necessarily, or I guess relooking what value means and saying is value the lowest price or yeah. is value the thing that will be, um, you know, it's a good price, but it's also actually going to be making a positive contribution to local economic development or reducing plastics. Or a really good example is how on the North Shore they used to use uh, boiling water to kill weeds and yeah. then uh, they lost that contract and then they said, oh, no, we're going to do the low, the, the cheapest thing, which was using Roundup. But it's not. It's like, clearly, that's a false value, you know. Yeah, well, we've gone and back then, to the boiling yeah, and then <laughs> Yeah, and the good news is, you know, they're, now they're going, well, a, a, a social procurement that actually looks across the lens, not just at money in this particular financial year, but looks at well-being yeah. into the future. Yeah, so tell us more about the yeah. commitment. The... The one of the only committees I was not on last term is the procurement committee. So I don't know the down to the detail detail, but um, yeah, it is around uh, and we're putting more things into it. Like climate is in 
getting into all our procurement now. But around, you know, the living wage was one thing. It scores higher. Um, if you are employing uh, younger people, it scores higher. If you're um, hiring people with uh, disabilities, Māori and Pacifica. So there's like good um, kind of things that knock up. Obviously, price is part of it, but it's only a percentage of the whole and there's um, environmental contract. stuff in yeah. there too, yeah. isn't there? Like zero waste, yeah, uh, zero carbon waste. footprint. Um, with our, uh, especially with our uh, demolition contracts and things like that. So that's all has to be, uh, I think we're there now, zero waste. So if we've got a community um, building or asset that has to be demolished, that contractor coming in has to, um, they may get paid about the same. And they're actually working out that because they can sell a whole of the stuff they used yeah. to throw away, that it's actually mm. becoming about neutral. Um, so they have to, it takes a bit longer, but they have to make sure everything is not going to landfill wow. um, when they demolish, uh, community buildings. Well, it's not really even cool. demolishing anymore, is it? It's dismantling. Yeah. Dismantling. Mm. So everything comes out and what it's, there's some really cool stories about what they've been able to do. I think they, um, there was one, uh, one building that got demolished. I can't remember exactly what it was. Had a whole lot of Cody timber in it, and that has gone to build another community facility. So they're taking the really good hardwood from this facility that may have just been scrapped before. Totally. Um, there is things that probably to the average person is pretty good. You know, sinks and benches and different things are going into people who are building um, houses and. You know how like uh, all the Navy houses got taken from Devonport? They've been able to reuse in housing or um, setting up uh, sheds and different things. They've been able to use all that kind of stuff and use community groups as well. Like on uh, where I live in Kaipasaki, we've got our pest-free Kaipasaki and it's actually kind kind of procuring volunteers really and making sure Mm. that council does their bit while the volunteers can do their bit, but it's not like, counterintuitive and you're getting them to add value not do the actual work and that's um, awesome things like that so it's um there i couldn't name all the the actual parts to it but sure. it's getting much better there you know i still have issues with some of the bigger contracts where i feel like it is too difficult for the public and for us um to really get there but i think over time it is changing like with the parks we're getting a dedicated people back in local areas where i think before it was like oh it'll be cheaper to do you know, have one person doing this right across the city and it just didn't work. So slowly they're kind of testing things that aren't just about money. Progress is being made. Yeah. Can I ask, uh, we, we've got some listener questions which we're going to um, end the episode on. But before we do, I've just, I've got a question slightly like personal, take your temperature on an issue question. Yeah, sure. Because obviously you're someone who is pretty schooled up on environmental stuff and you, you, you know, absorb all the news and the research and the science that's coming out every day about that. How do you feel marrying up your role in council, seeing the speed at which things are happening, seeing the scale at which things are changing against what the scientists are suggesting how quickly we need to move? Uh, I guess if I'm so like, I'm an eternal optimist, so I feel like we can all do it. But I actually, at the moment, um, I am worried about the lack of action across the world, but, um, even New Zealand, even where we want to do good things. So obviously we've got the zero carbon bill. Uh, it's fantastic. It was cross party, all this kind of stuff. But I worry like, where is the action? Like the mm. tangible things, the, you know, the light rail, like, I'm just like, please give us that, um, things that. I feel that could be happening that aren't the, you know, we can jump ahead. I just don't think people really realize how um, 
serious and how dire mm. um, and what we have to do, everyone. So business and, you know, I think someone was saying to me, oh, you need to bring business on board. I'm like, actually, a lot of businesses are well ahead of the politicians on mm. on decarbonizing their businesses, their new buildings. They're um, thinking about how their staff get to work and don't get to work, whether they stay home or the end of trip facilities that they're building within new buildings like that business is kind of a head even even like on the far extreme of it huge institutional investing firms yeah are like exactly. moving away all of their money out of yeah the divestment stuff, stuff yeah. and gas based yeah. investments mm. like yeah. there's huge movements happening outside of politics it feels like yeah but the speed at which politics moves is and it slow. is that that it is that minority voice that we hear the most, the nastiness. And it's also through the media that the pressure put on us by some loud voices in the media still kind of debating climate change. I've been really clear that I want my role to be how far and how fast, not if it's mm. true. Like, that's mm. done. We're done now. And unfortunately, Australia is going to help us, I think. This, yeah. this, mm. this horrible summer where we haven't been able to close our eyes and go, oh, it's just floods and droughts in some far-off country. Mm. It's the Pacific Islands that we've never been to. It's the flooding in um, India or whatever like that we can't really touch. I've yeah. been kind of... <laughs> I said to Alex, who's my support um, staff member at work last year, I don't want to talk about fires and floods and stuff because it, it's also the whole scare tactics. But then Australia, it's kind of like, well, that's right here. And yeah. then the, and it's got, real. the sky turned orange and you can't actually mm. ignore... It's like this is, you know, and you know, close enough to home. Yeah. Mm. And I guess there's so many things that we have to do. Even it's planning about climate refugees. Like we're going to have the flooded Pacific Island. It is the burning Australia. Where are they going to come? They're going to come here. And we are we planning? uh, Are we planning for housing? Are we planning for the facilities that we need to have for probably a? Because we are probably going to be a bit more sheltered, which is maybe good and maybe bad that people maybe won't feel the effects. In New Zealand for decades like other areas around the world will but I think um, I think we just need to play a part but I'm worried that people think or use excuses like well it's the big emitters like of course we will only affect a s- tiny slither but maybe we can be a leader people go oh that was but imagine if we had the attitude for giving oh, yeah. women the vote you know yeah. it's like oh we're a little country we'll be a fast follower we'll wait yeah. for like britain to do exactly. it first exactly and then we'll, we'll yeah. get them behind exactly. it's it's, like, a, it's just, just such a weird way of thinking yeah. about it it's like these are global issues and what we admit here affects anyone in yeah. any part of the world because little particles will go around the world and it just doesn't seem proud. like an ethical way to work it out yeah just go, oh, it's just a small it's all i mean there's seven billion of us are all just doing small things well, I'm glad to hear yeah. that you're worried but optimistic because I think that yeah. means you've got the go powder state in the fight and keep, you know, the battling combo. the good battle, but also <laughs> a realistic vision of what's happening in the scale yeah. at which it's happening. Yeah, well, shall we ask Richard while well, we've got him? Um, so we're going to spring this on you, Richard. Okay. We uh, have questions that come in from our listeners and we've got three here that are people all wanting to know about legislation or that sort of yeah governmenty side of things and tim as we all know is is into politics and can tell us all about american politics but myself i am a big just miss it completely miss it sort of a person (laughs) anyway so first question is you don't have to have like you know categorical answer just whatever's top of mind this is from melanie and it starts off with you guys rule that's important to get that yeah Yeah. but you're cool too richard 
I would like to know if you both had the opportunity to influence one change in current legislation, what would it be and why? We've delegated the question. We have. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess, I'd, you know, if we're going to look at the zero carbon bill, I just want like actions from it, like very clear, very quick, um, you know, change the whole picture tomorrow, please, or the next budget, you know, how are we going to significantly change the way we do things? It's not really a legislative change, but even uh, the way we fund transport and, and big infrastructure, like if, if we use the government uh, balance sheet, and which includes council and everyone else, to significantly change the way we fund things, then everyone kind of has to follow along, mm. um, you know, quickly, and that's changing the way what we fund um, and how we fund it, what we build, like instead of just like, oh, we've got a plan, like everyone's mm. kind of sick of plans. Mm. Um, so I don't probably have a significant legislative point, but I guess using the bills we're passing that, yeah. that look or sound good, but actually tangibly yeah, show. let's get in there and do it. And I yeah. mean, it's interesting to hear the one, I mean, across all of the different topics uh, that get passed, uh, that, that was the one that's top of mind for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's key. Okay, next I'll question. Throw, I'll throw oh, one yeah. in, though, that I reckon you could get behind. Free public transport, or as close as we can get to it, just subsidise the heck out of it. Yeah. And then well, you it can already kind is subsidised, isn't move, it? Yeah. But, like, to a extreme. Because yeah. the fares have just gone up again this year, which I guess they do every year. But if we're yeah. really making an intention to drop it down, and you've brought it up so much. I know you're very public, uh, passionate about public transport because yeah. it's the single largest emissions contributor in the city. 38% of all emissions in Auckland are created from... Um, from cars yeah, or transport in general. So wow. it's a big one to hit. We significantly subsidize, although the, the a lot of studies, and we've done it in Auckland too, what would people prefer? Would they prefer better services or free transport? At the moment, people want better services. So huh, interesting. Uh, yeah. my concern is we, if we jump too quickly to free, even though it's, uh, I would like to see more subsidies of the people who need it. Yeah, like yeah. I last year secured myself and Chris Darby um, worked with the mayor and council um, to get free kids weekends. That was one thing that was pretty easy. It was half a million dollars for the whole city to have under 16s free um, public transport in the weekends, which is good. And that's yes about young people getting out and families getting out, but it's also about for me, those young people trying it and becoming forever transport users. So like, um, and also we're putting 4 million into uh, subsidizing weekday transport for, um, young people, so 18 and under from, I think, or June or July this year. Um, so at the moment, I'd like to see those kind of things. The government's promised around a community services card thing, but it's been like almost two years. I just want them to do that. Like that would give people who really can't afford transport, like access to the transport system um, now. So if we can, if funding is scarce, like put it into getting good services and getting discounts for people who, who need, it. need yeah. it. And then when we have good transport then look at like really knocking the the money out of it but yeah so that's my concern because everyone kind of jumps to that but it does the modeling and i don't know how much modeling can be done because i don't think it's really been done many places but um that it doesn't show a massive jump unless you have good frequent services everywhere first yeah makes sense um but yeah i'm really pissed off with the the current increases and stuff because we really want the government to change the law that was set up by the last government Um, which forces us by law to collect 50% of the total cost of public transport from the user, from fares. Um, Thankfully, the current government has let us go down to about 43%. So 
about 57% of public transport is now subsidized instead of 50. You're tied to that. That's a requirement. It's a 43 law. cents on the dollar. No, the law is 50. Uses. We're just oh. kind of like being cheeky at the moment. <laughs> um, and, and the fare box recovery, which is, it's all the Stephen Joyce kind of paradigm that was all about efficiency. And one day we won't need subsidies. It was all aimed, but it's just shown the more people we get on, the more buses and drivers and did he think it would scale up to a point where it would just take care of itself yeah i okay. but but you're it's not kind of taking... like when you keep building roads and you're like oh that'll fix congestion yeah more cars get on no, don't like, get oh, efficiency only works if you don't have people involved like you know <laughs> what i mean like, so 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 you you can't whether it was good or not i mean i think there was some really good things out of that because it did make the system more efficient and it did make the way you could fund transport better and the contracting um but we can't increase bus driver pay we can't reduce fares with the system we have now the current government has agreed with us and they've said they'll review it but i thought it would be finished by now and i'm worried that they'll review it and we'll get to an election and it won't have been mm. changed and you know i just want them to change that it's called the public transport operating model ptom you can look it up it's very interesting can people but, make a submission on that well the, it's only a internal review at the moment so i'm kind of but at some stage yeah i'm worried that the review will come out and then it will be in a consultation it will take another while and then we'll have another year of increases um yeah so sounds like they in terms of the one piece of legis it's actually yeah, maybe what t- you're <laughs> saying over and over is it's not so much about the the legislation it's the pace yeah it's like we've actually got because the same in waste there's some great stuff there but it's the pace at which we're moving and actually getting the teeth into it and start acting on it it's yeah. the cost of democracy unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> shall we move on to another question our next one's from Hannah, and Hannah said, in your opinion, what is the one piece of legislation that governments could pass that would make the most impact in reversing climate change? Ooh, reversing climate change. Uh, it would be something to do with, um, you know, buying everyone an electric vehicle if they can't have public transport. Oh, yeah? <laughs> the main issue is uh, trips. So if we just reduce the trips, so it's either getting people into electric cars or just, I don't know, flipping the whole employment situation and asking everyone to stay home twice a week and work from home. I don't know. I want to throw in my (laughs) two cents worth here. I reckon a piece of legislation around um, supporting regenerative agriculture because of the soil thing, um, how if we're just tweaking our farming practices and supporting those people who are pulling carbon out of the atmosphere and putting it back into the soil where it should be. Um, you know why aren't they getting why yeah like who's getting the subsidies in farming and why and could we just have a look at that carbon balance for farmers and support farmers or all farmers to be working out how they can be putting carbon back into the soil yeah definitely i mean i think selfishly as an auckland councillor our emissions from agriculture in auckland is only about five percent so i kind of but as a country yeah that would be significant actually giving people the tools or you know whether it's forcing i don't know but you know doing the incentivizing yeah incentivizing people to farm differently instead of just you know if you're planting a whole lot of different variety of crops and like the way farming used to happen um then yeah you bring back that real soil and Mm. at the moment we're just killing everything off and you know there's nothing to suck in the carbon anymore Mm. um so yeah so something around transport that was significantly changed the dial and you know farming as well would mm. be um good cuz cuz like i keep saying it's like we're, we're going to get to a point like australia has right now where everything just burns off anyway and we're not yeah. going to have a choice so yeah. i'm worried that people keep 
pushing it out that they are forced to do something that's going to cost a lot more socially economically environmentally and there is opportunities to be had with the transition yeah. as well like you know i don't want to put too rose tinted a um, set of glasses on this some things and industries that historically have done really well will take a hit that's natural but there's ways that you can soften that blow using the levers of government as well yeah like if there's if the dairy industry for example is going to be really affected then you find a way to cushion that through funding and legislation for them to help support them transition into the next thing because we need to so yeah yeah. Yeah, transitions typically on the whole are very lucrative yeah well whenever there's change there's opportunity yeah that's right and uh just the final thing this isn't really a question it's more of a shout out we had such a diabolically low voter turnout rate in the 2019 local elections um so just like maybe even right now i know we're still a couple of few years away from the next local body elections around new zealand but just like go on your local council website (laughs) and familiarize yourself with if you've got wards that you need to be aware of where, where you are and what electorate you're in and how it all kind of what the structure is and how it works and find out who's representing you at the moment yeah and just at a top line maybe investigate whether you align with um that person's values and if not maybe figure out how you can help someone who does align with what you think yep absolutely and you i think people get confused i got asked all the time if you don't own a house you can still vote so if you don't pay <laughs> rates like a lot of people especially younger people think council voting is people who pay rates wow and we all pay rates through yes. our rent and whatever yeah. you know so wow. so it needs to be very clear that if you live in auckland and you are a resident or a citizen you can vote for all the people in i've your never local heard area. that that's such a yeah dangerous it's very false those same people often think they can't compost as well yeah <laughs> i get it all the time i can't compost because i rent well, like, we've got curbside composting coming in in 2021. Yes. That's a good bit of um, local government change in Auckland. Yeah. So, cool. and, and Richard, lastly, like how can people support the, if people find someone who's, whose vision they align with, how, how best can they support them? I guess if you don't want to stand yourself, that uh, you, yeah, support someone's campaign, even just, you know, a lot of people, a lot of my friends who are not that interested in politics would be sharing my stuff, encouraging um, family and friends. I did a bit of a, like campaigns are hard and uh, expensive. So if you can donate, if you don't want to stand yourself, you know, donating even 20 or 40 bucks to someone like that's a whole billboard for them or a, or a, a couple of weeks social media is 40 sure. bucks for, right. for that person. So, you know, encourage your friends to stand and say you'll back them. Um, we had a lot of younger people stand and get elected across the country this time more than yeah, ever. Yeah, it was I really think, exciting. I think we may have tripled. We, I, we went to young elected members thing down in Wellington just at the end of uh, the year because we're I think it was six percent of elected members across the country were under forty. Only six percent. I'm pretty sure we're almost three times that now from this awesome. election. We had almost a hundred people under forty, and most of them were actually under um, thirty um, that were new. And this, we had uh, Sophie yeah. Hanford on just before she. Oh, got right, elected. yeah, yeah. So she's I think the youngest ever elected councillor yeah. in New Zealand. So it will change the dial because you have those people with those voices that can't be ignored, and all the conversations that we're having with staff and contractors and people out in the community that is just different it doesn't mean their views will be the same mm. and either are the older people who are elected they've got a very diverse views on every issue but i think totally. just having younger people there um and helping fund them like people a lot of my friends and family donated 20 40 30 bucks 100 bucks to me which helped fund you know a, lot, a big chunk of my campaign i think it helps you vote as well if you can see someone who is remotely the same age as you yeah <laughs> and youth turnout is such an issue that yeah. if there's someone True. in their late it 20s sense, or 30s actually. it's like oh 
They know okay. a bit about me. Gotcha. Mm. Yeah. Right. It's not some 80-year-old who's trying to protect their house. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Hey, well, Richard, thank you so much for joining us today. How can people find you online and, and follow you? Uh, Twitter, I'm RichardHill777. Is that with an S? Uh, yeah, Richard yep. Hills, plural. Um, and on Instagram, I'm Richard Hills 777 it's been just my handle for like it's 10 lucky. years that I've never changed it. Um, the, and yeah, there'd then, be a few Richard Hills out there, eh? Yeah, and yeah. you can just find me on Facebook, Richard Hills. But I, um, but otherwise, contact me through the council website. People tag me on community pages all the time. Even if you're not on the North Shore, I can help you with um, council stuff, whether it's broken bus stops, uh, big things, climate change, little things dog bylaws i can do it all or find it out wow. if i don't know <laughs> amazing <laughs> it's a huge offer richard yeah. thank you so much well cool. cheers again for taking the time to have a chat to us cool thank you very much thanks, thanks for having me yeah great to have you